Well, welcome to the Faculty Podcast, brought to you by Reformed Theological Seminary in Washington, D.C., part of a 50-plus year endeavor to train pastors and other church leaders in the ministry of the gospel in the United States and around the world. My name is Scott Redd, and I'm the president here, and I'm joined by my colleagues, Dr. Tommy Keene, our academic dean and professor of New Testament, Dr. Gray Sutanto, professor of systematic theology, and Dr. Peter Lee, dean of students and professor of Old Testament. And this is Episode two in our issue, top, tough, tough topics. topics, tough topics. We wanted to have a jingle that said tough, tough topics. topics. I think I, I think the Hot Pockets jingle. I think we're all going to just, that's what's in my head. <laughs> but there are copyright issues we can't. This is can't video. It would come at the screen with yeah. like Wayne's World lettering <laughs> yes, behind right. it. I think of a monster right. truck. Uh-huh. Tough topics. Sunday. <laughs> Yeah. Tough skins. I, like I used to wear uh, jeans, tough skins, when I was a kid. They were good jeans. It's kind of like a precursor to Carhartt or something. So before my no time. One's, no one's before my time. <laughs> <laughs> There's not a lot. That... I'm not getting a lot of continuous. Okay. Well, our first episode of dealing with a particular tough topic. We had an intro episode. Now we're going to dive into a particular tough topic, and here it is. Let me pose the tough topic. This is a, a bit of a softball. I guess, and yet it's a common one. It's a common criticism that shows up when you're talking to people who do not believe, do not believe in Jesus Christ, don't believe in the Bible, don't believe in a God. This is a common uh, question or common criticism that comes up. They say, man, that's just a bunch of hocus pocus, okay? I don't believe in all those stories about angels and animals talking and axe heads floating and water being turned to wine and people ascending into heaven and coming down out of heaven and chariots of fire. Don't you know? Come on. Mm-hmm. We're all enlightened modernists here. Why are you buying into all that legendary mumbo jumbo? Okay. Um, there's actually a technical kind of a scholarly way of describing this. And, and you see it in biblical criticism, particularly enlightenment biblical criticism, where one of the principles that biblical scholars apply to the text is this idea of the principle of analogy, where if Something, the assumption, the analogy is that the old times are like the modern times. If axe heads don't float now, I've never seen someone go up into heaven in a chariot of fire. Why should I expect that it happened back then? So if you're trying to figure out what's historical and what's not, one easy filter to start off is to just throw out all of those miracle stories. Mm-hmm. So that's the question today, the question of miracles, supernatural events happening in a natural world. So let me throw that out to you, brothers. What, how do we respond to that? Hey, this is, you know, we, we've gotten far enough away from legendary fairy tales. Why are you all still holding on to all this stuff? Well, I think when we encounter a questioner who asks that line of inquiry, I mean, even the way in which they phrase the question oftentimes presupposes a certain sort of assumptions and also even smuggles in a whole worldview. So even that line, right? why do we believe in a supernatural being who could violate the natural world, right? Um, It presupposes that the natural world consists of um, a self-enclosed, self-consistent system that is otherwise um, self-sufficient, right? Mm -hmm. And that, therefore, a supernatural deity who violates the laws of the universe would be meddling with our scientific endeavors, and so science would not be possible. They would argue, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm... echoing the physicist right. Lawrence Cross here, he would argue that if you believe in miracles, 
then a deity who meddles with the world will violate our scientific experiments. And our scientific experiments actually presupposes and requires there to be a certain uniformity, yeah. uniformity of nature and so on. Well, how it responds to that is, again, it smuggles in a deistic worldview that if God exists, then he must exist outside of this self-enclosed system that we call the universe. And therefore, if there is a miracle, a miracle is by definition, therefore, a violation of the physical laws of the universe. But that's just not the way in which Christian theists have thought about the relation between God and the world. Um, all the way back to St. Augustine, and we see this in Aquinas, Bonaventure, the reformed scholastics, we would argue that the laws of the universe are really descriptions of God's ordinary works of providence, that God works ordinarily in these ways. And so that's why science is possible, because mm -hmm. we study the consistency of God's own providence. There's a uniformity of nature because God is faithful to his own created order. And, and therefore, a miracle is not a violation to an otherwise self-enclosed system, as if God needs to tinker yeah. with like a watch or something like that. But rather, God might work extraordinarily. Yeah. And so, um, can an axe head float? Of course, because God can work extraordinarily, just as the laws of gravity, as we describe it right now, is just the description, as Kuiper would argue, of the imminent power of God, rather than something independent from God in the first place. Mm -hmm. So, um, that objection actually presupposes a whole worldview. Yeah. Westminster uses that language. The Westminster Assembly uses that language of God's will being worked out, what does he say, necessarily, freely, and contingently. Right. right. And you see that kind of you know necessary cause and effects. There's contingencies, like you can pray, mm -hmm. say, Lord, I pray that this would happen and this would not, and I'd be healed of a disease or a certain state of affairs would obtain, and, and he would bring those things about. That's why we believe that prayer is effective. Prayer, right. prayer God invites us to prayer in response contingently to it, but he's also free. Yeah. He's free to do things that nobody was asking for, and he just came out and he does it. Because yeah. I think, as, as you pointed out, that deistic worldview does assume a kind of God who is constrained by his own creation, mm -hmm. who's a bit, who's, who doesn't really have a saity. Right. I think he's he's right. not uh, he's not relating to creation as yeah. a creator creature and it relates to a creature but he's now somehow bound by it mm -hmm. so that he cannot act freely within it without somehow breaking it or something. Yeah, and if it doesn't smuggle in that sort of deistic assumption it smuggles in an atheistic worldview already right. to begin with that all that exists is what you can sense. Yeah. That the naturalist the naturalistic materialist universe is all that there is. Mm -hmm. And so the miracles, of course, would become ruled out in principle if you already assume a naturalistic assumption. Right. And I think it also it assumes, even if we have a supernaturalistic assumption, it assumes a God who acts rarely, right. you know, who do, who's not acting constantly. You know, the, and the biblical perspective is, of course, you know, the sun rose, and so we give thanksgiving to God. We because that is the work of the work yeah. of God's hands. Josephus has this interesting line that he talks about with the the Essenes, the Qumran community. He says that they arise, you know, before sunrise, uh, and speak not a word on profane matters, but they only pray certain prayers which they have received from their forefathers, as if they made a supplication for the sun's rising. Mm -hmm. And while that can sound crazy, you know, we don't wake up and pray that the sun would rise this morning, uh, because we know that God ordinarily does those kinds of things, and he, he functions in accordance with ordinary. The uh, he he maintains the ordinary laws of physics. And yet we give thanks. Your mercies are new every morning. Right. We give thanks that he puts mm -hmm. what, he he waters the earth with with the rains and the um, yeah cools us with the with a breeze and those kinds of things. There's there's a balance there of he's always acting and yet he acts in these kind of ordinary ways. Mm -hmm.
Yeah, and I think the origin of the principle of analogy comes from the radical empiricist David Hume, right? David Hume argued that if you cannot trace a particular idea to a sense-perceptible data, then you're not justified in believing that idea. You're better off saying, I have no idea to begin with. And I think that's where mm -hmm. the phrase actually comes from. It's from that, that Humean sort of tradition of radical empiricism. But I think people need to be aware that they're not as consistent of an empiricist as they are. I mean, Hume showed what a consistent empiricism looks like. That if you, if you want to reject miracles because there is no sense-perceptible data to trace the idea to in your own perception, right? then you have to reject other things too because there's so many things that we actually yeah. do take for granted that has no um, trace or genealogy to or sense-perceptible data, right? So Hume famously argued that you don't know whether or not the sun is going to rise tomorrow because you've never actually right. experienced it. Right. Mm -hmm. To believe that the you, future... You haven't actually experienced tomorrow's sun. Tomorrow's sun, sun right? Yeah. Exactly. No. And, so, and, and, and you believe that the sun will rise tomorrow because you believe in the principle that the future will be like the past. Mm -hmm. But the future will be like the past cannot be established by way of empirical data. Right. You have to presuppose right. it. It's a circular right. argument. Doesn't, yeah. doesn't he, isn't the pool ball one that he uses? The pool ball is another yeah, one. Yeah, the, 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 when the cue ball hits the other ball and the other ball moves, you can't prove. That's right. That's that exactly right. The, the, the cue ball made the other ball move. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you can only um, associate the movement of one ball yeah. to another ball, but yeah. cause and effect is actually beyond sense perception. Right. He argues the cue ball, the second cue ball, might be might stay in place. It might float mm -hmm. up. It might go in either direction. You yeah. have no idea, and you can't establish it beforehand because it, that presupposes again that the future will be like the past. Yeah, that and is uh, pretty amazing. How you know, uh, without divine providence, it really leads to radical skepticism. You yeah. really can't and know rationality. All you really right. have is yeah. a high probability. Yeah, yeah and, and no necessary truths either. Uh, no, no awareness of propositions and. Um, laws of logic that you might consider to be necessary because you cannot actually trace any of beliefs and propositions in sense perceptible data there is no belief in consciousness or the self mm -hmm. you you never actually perceive your own self you've only perceived momentary um glimpses of perception right that are strung together like uh pearls without a bead that's really all that you perceive no moral truths either because when somebody pushes you, you can only say, I don't like that, but you can't say you ought not push anyone. Because there's no absolute. That, there's no that absolute. stretches from one to the other. Yeah. yeah, because you can't trace those ideas to a sense-perceptible data. Yeah. So so how would you define a miracle, Gray, if, if, if ultimately it is through God as eternal act that grounds everything that happens contingently or necessarily, yeah. what, what makes a miracle different than, say, the sun rising? Well, it's an extraordinary work of God. I think that's one way in which we can talk about it. So one of the things I say in my class in the Doctrine of Scripture, for instance, is that the inspiration of Holy Scripture, the way in which God organically inspires the writers of the Bible, right? So um, for 2 Timothy 3.16, uh, 2 Peter 1.21, for instance, talks about the Spirit carrying these men so that they would write exactly what God wants them to write. No prophecy has origins in the soul of man, but rather from the spirit. And then that all scripture is God breathed in 2 Timothy 3.16. Um, so inspiration is a subset of divine providence because God ensures that these men would write exactly what they would write by using their personalities. Doesn't override their agency, doesn't override their um, wills or their their historical context, but rather uses all of those things. And so in scripture, you have a diversity of genres, literary texts and um, even writing styles and yet God can inspire them such that that's exactly what God wants them to write right so um, 
why is inspiration a subset of divine providence? Because that's a description too of divine providence. God can concurrently work with the secondary causes of reality. Mm -hmm. But it's also not reducible to divine providence because in the moment of inspiration, God ensures and superintends it in a particular way such that every single um, syllable and iota of the scripture is actually written by God himself. Yeah. So God inspires them in a way that he doesn't inspire your papers in seminary, right? So even though God is providential over that, this inspiration is a subset, but not reducible to it. And it's not always clear. I think this is really interesting because in the case of inspiration, that's a good example, but also just in, in the case of miracles in general, mm -hmm. it's not always clear what a miracle is. We like to think we'd know, yeah. right? Like if I, you know, as Jesus says in John 6, if you saw the sun and they could have seen, seen the son of man ascending and descending into the heavens, and they still wouldn't believe unless the spirit, you know, revealed right. them to him right. or, 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 or gave them belief. You know, that's a clear miracle. If I see someone floating around in the sky without mm -hmm. a jetpack or a hang glider attached to him, right? We're ta starting to talk miracles. And yet it's not always clear where when a miracle is taking place. I think we have to acknowledge that too. I mean, I remember one time I was doing missions work and I was teaching a group of students who were coming from all over the kind of Mediterranean to a class. And I remember one of the students had been waylaid because he couldn't get a visa into the country where we were and and so That's familiar yeah <laughs> we we all prayed and the next day he got his visa mm. yeah and the students said yeah a group a of students said right. it's a miracle another group of students said no a miracle because he was coming from <laughs> across the mediterranean ocean well actually yeah they said no a miracle would be if the ocean if the mediterranean opened up and he walked <laughs> to the the island where we are having this right. class. That's a miracle. And it raised a really good conversation. So what is a miracle, right? Mm -hmm. You know, my daughter has the flu. I pray for her. She's better in two days. Is that a miracle mm -hmm. or is that just the flu running its natural thing? It's not always clear exactly what a miracle is. Yeah. So we have to remember that too. We say, well, you know, miracles, um, you know, it's always clear what's happening when the laws of, of, of nature are being suspended mm -hmm. or, or manipulated in some way by God. And, of course, that's not always the case. I mean, we have this idea of like a special providence, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's a regular works of providence, but it's a special providence. God's responding to prayer. God's caring for us individually. Mm -hmm. And that is also God, the creator, actively working in his creation, mm -hmm. right? And yet most scientists aren't questioning or, 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 yeah. or you're studying those, those, those things taking right. place. I think that's really important and a reminder, you know, as Jesus goes around doing miracles, he mm -hmm. consistently points us back that these are signs of yeah. of things that we might not think right. of as miracles, like an answer to prayer. You know, we mm -hmm. pray that, yeah. you know, I'm healed from the flu or somebody's, you know, uh, stops limping more quickly because of their injury or something like that. Mm -hmm. Those answers to prayers are, you know, are miraculous. Or thinking about Mark, um, mm -hmm the you know i'm i'm healing this man as a sign to you that i have authority to forgive sins and mm -hmm. and the forgiveness of sins is actually uh, a miracle there I mean, right. it, it requires actually a series yeah. of miracles yeah. incarnation resurrection yeah. to accomplish the ground of that so the that connection between what we regard as miraculous cuz the sun stopped moving in the sky that's obviously a miracle yeah. and then ordinary expectations that line is sometimes fuzzy. Right. And to kind of, I mean, to now sort of come around full circle, 
we haven't even gotten into what is the use of miracles when you start talking about these are signs and typically speaking these are signs that are attending to major moments in redemptive history and you know i remember talking to my daughter one night and and right she's about to go to bed she's the philosopher who'd always turn around and say things she said yeah i wish i lived in the old testament so i'd see miracles every day you know i I wish i lived in the bible time so i could see miracles every day and we were kind of talking about it and you know you probably didn't see miracles every day when a miracle happened in the old testament everybody was surprised and blown away by it as a matter of fact little girls were born raised and died and never saw a miracle ancient people didn't believe that axe heads floated either right which is why unlike going back to the way that i phrased the question earlier it's not like gilgamesh it's not like atrahasis it's not like you know the legend of kirta or achat you know harry potter yeah it's not like harry potter but Back in those days, there was a whole set of literature that was legendary fairy tale. You know, Gilgamesh runs into scorpion men on the beach, and he doesn't go, what the heck is that? Scorpion men. <laughs> you know, they just fight him. You know, and yet when, when Balaam's donkey does. talks, yeah, when Balaam's donkey talks, Balaam's blown away. It, it's surprised. When the axe head floats, people are in awe. They, they, you know, when Jesus calms the, the wind and the waves, it says that they feared more than they feared from the wind and the waves. Yeah, I kind of wonder the analogy that you mentioned to start off with, you know, that all these things happened in the ancient days, mm-hmm. um, and by analogy it should continue in our day-to-day, doesn't really work for exactly this point. I think people have a false impression that, you know, axe heads floating, a pillar of cloud, parting of the Red Sea was just a daily experience yeah. in the Old Testament, and it wasn't. If you really th- uh, examine it, the highest concentration of miracles or the supernatural acts were very isolated into particular areas of, of, histor- of the history yeah. of salvation. So you had a lot of it during the Moses, you know, Exodus era for obvious reasons because mm-hmm. of the nature of the Exodus. You had it during the Elijah, Elisha era because Israel was so in desperate need of sort of Mosaic orthodoxy. Right. Then you had it again in the New Testament with Jesus in the days of the apostles. But really, that is the highest concentration mm-hmm. of miraculous acts, and if you really think about right, it. Right, and that's the background so. to like the cessationist position is that we shouldn't expect this as an ordinary thing that's taking place. Right, right. Right, because this is something that happens. As a matter of fact, may, maybe in the second coming, we'll start to see a kind of coagulation of miracles again, right? <laughs> Around that next stage in redemptive history. Uh, yeah. But it's always been that view is that actually miracles, supernatural events don't take place all the time in the Bible. The Bible is actually a surprisingly naturalistic book in that yeah. sense. It assumes natural processes. If you drink wine, you're gonna get drunk. It's just a thing right. that happens, right? You know, um, but every once in a while something does happen and it's usually around those major events of redemptive history. That, that that connection to redemptive history is why I would generally avoid or at least resist the you know uh, calling Gray getting his visa finally yeah. a, a miracle well, even though we're darn. glad to have you here mm-hmm. that it's not as as important as I think your addition to the faculty is it's not mm-hmm. a redemptive Man, historical way to, way event. Way to show way uh, to throw some shade here. I mean uh, I'm sorry episode it was uh, not divine revelation that no. be affirmed with a sign. But I don't know. Is there is there like systematic theology? Does do do they make that distinction between kind of re- miracle as redemptive historical event versus say what what would you call the alternative God's special providence? Well, it's uh, this is literally what we discussed again ST one class two weeks ago. Was I'm asking the, I'm asking an ST one question. 
Yeah, I mean, talk uh, about to throwing me. shade. He's like, yeah, this is something no, that we talked about. In we talked about in kindergarten, right. <laughs> Tommy. To um, to make explicit, right? What you're all sort of hovering around is that a miracle is not just a like God is not showing off with regard yeah. to a miracle. It's not as if it's just like, oh, look what I can do. He's not a magician, mm-hmm. which what which is what makes God really distinguished from, let's say, Simon the magician in Acts chapter I think five, I believe, right? So. Um, when God does a miracle in redemptive history, it's always to further some epochal events within redemptive history, right? Yeah. It's always to authenticate a work of God. So when Jesus does miracles, for instance, um, it's not just to indicate something cool or an event that is um, personal, that is for your own entertainment or that right. is for your own personal edification, but rather Jesus is communicating that the kingdom is coming into this world right now and the fallenness of creation is being reversed by the entrance of the Messiah, right? Yeah. So that now the leprous could be healed and the paralyzed could now walk, right? So a miracle is always to move forward some sort of divine redemptive historical activity rather than a personal edification. And that I think that has an important apologetic value, especially yes. kind of where you started with, you know, okay, God can make access float. Now he can't do science. Well, well, no, that's not, miracles are not ordinary. And yeah. in in a way... I mean, God is, we're not putting God in a box. We're not saying God is beholden to certain sort of laws or rules. But we are saying that God ordinarily associates miracles with moving the redemptive historical storyline forward. That's right. And that's predictable. I'm putting predictable in quotes yeah. for, for our listeners. And that's why, therefore, you know, the Red Sea event is not a repeatable event that we should expect today. Right. Nor is Pentecost right. a repeatable yeah. event, right? Right. When we were in Jakarta, there are so many different events, and they actually call them the third Pentecost. Right. Or the mm-hmm. third Pentecost yeah. because the second Pentecost was Azusa yeah. Street and, and the third Pentecost was in Jakarta. They yeah. have not yeah. been reading Gaff. Well, they haven't been reading their Bibles, right? <laughs> I would argue. Which I, which I would argue that the, the, that's a natural tendency for humans to try to go back to the right. thing. And yet you're also missing the point of the miracle, which yeah. is pushing us forward, right? right? Pushing us to Christ, pushing us to yearn for his coming, pushing us to move to move on to the next thing, to pray for the next thing, to, right. to, be, to be actors in the next thing. That's it right. is it is ironic the uh, miracles are signs right. right and they are signs pointing to the divine revelatory word of god to affirm that this is a supernatural word mm-hmm. and the and the supernatural sign is to affirm the origins of the word is supernatural it is divine it is from god and it's it's interesting that um uh, you know, it's it's so easy to lose sight of that because the miracle is so fantastic, it's spectacular, and we are kind of drawn to the spectacular, the razzmatazz, the mm-hmm. the high profile, the stage lights, and the word just seems so mundane in comparison, and that is a real dangerous uh, mentality to to get into. And so the fascination with miracles in our day to day, I've had persons people say to me you know, that uh, they are frustrated that God does not speak to them because they don't, you know, they read the Bible, but God's not speaking to me because they're not yeah. revealing themselves in some extraordinary way. And I and I desperately want to just say, he is speaking to you. When you read the Word, mm-hmm. he is speaking to you. That is, in many ways, sort of a, uh, a supernatural product here in the Word of God, and yeah. he is communicating. Now, he may not be telling you specifically you know, who to marry or where to go to college or whatever, but mm. he is giving you guidelines on how to make decisions like that that is helpful and divine. And, and and um, you know, I get the fascination with miracles, but I think we have to remember we do have a, a, a wondrous, 
product, a, a great gift here in the Word of God. Well, yeah. So what I'm hearing you all saying is that you have both those who are refuting miracles and saying these don't exist. What are you, primitives? You know, mm-hmm. And then on the other side, people who are maybe looking for miracles everywhere. Yep. And are also making an error in that case. Yeah, yep, I was going to raise absolutely. that question kind of as you were posing the issue at the very beginning. You said, you know, we're all moderns, we're all enlightenment thinkers. You know, we don't mm-hmm. believe in miracles. We don't believe in axe heads floating. But we, we, you know, I think Corey Brock mentioned at that last, when we were talking to him last week, the the rise of spiritualism in, right. in, in the West. And I've encountered that too, even in the United States, just this increased expectation of divine intervention in just right. kind of ordinary ways, uh, the rise of kind of old-fashioned paganism. Are we actually moving into a kind of culture and thought world where miracles, magic, the supernatural is more expected than the scientist or the German scholastic it, might think? It's interesting, isn't it? Particularly for someone who's kind of raised with the the skepticism of science and scientism, mm-hmm. right? now realizing that there's this other side of the argument, which is we also need to hedge against those who, who kind of throw all of this you know, uh, right. naturalistic thinking out the door. Well, right? it, it's interesting. There's so, many, so much now that's showing, you know, you think about the works of Tom Holland, for instance, and I was just on a call with the Keller Fellows recently with Molly Worthen, and she's recognizing, for instance, that what we take for granted as enlightenment rationalism, enlightenment empiricism, has its roots in Christianity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When the ancient church started preaching the gospel, they were actually accused of atheists, as you all brothers know, right? Um, they were atheists because they did not believe in superstition. They did not believe that if you touch an object, you're going to become cursed. Mm-hmm. They did not believe that you can go to a pilgrimage, go to such and such a town and worship that God, and therefore a harvest will come your way, right? And they did not believe that God resided in temples and needed any more sacrifices. Why? Because God is transcendent. He's not malleable, nor is he controllable by the work of human hands. And so if that's the case, then Christians can worship God anywhere, and Christians are under God's complete control, and yet he is invisible. He is spirit. Mm -hmm. And his miracles have, in a sense, now ceased because the ultimate grand miracle has already happened in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Mm -hmm. right? And so we should no longer look for apostles or prophets because we have the definitive revelation of God in Christ. Hebrews 1 talks about these last days. He has now spoken in Christ Jesus. And so, therefore, what more can he say, as the old hymn says, right? So there's this belief in the sufficiency of Scripture that undercuts all of the human desire for, really, I think, control of God. This is this is the spiritism coming forward, and the 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 unceasing look for spiritual miracles everywhere because they're really attempts to control God. If only I could do this. If I can say this incantation, then I have some control of the spirit. It's the Simon the magician's temptation. Yeah. You know? yeah. So I, I believe all this. I think all this is great. I think it solves like 90, for me, like 95% of the questions and quibbles and challenges that I have with regard to the miracles is sort of satisfied. But there's still some miracles out there that right. just seem too big that I just have trouble. The biggies. The biggies that I have trouble like either understanding or am I getting them right? Or there's this there's this desire in me to make it make sense like you know, Jonah and the whale, maybe there's this big air bubble that they're able, he's able to find. And, you know, I want to kind of explain how this could, yeah. could extraordinary yeah. though it yeah. might be, how it were the sun. I mean, the, the amateur physicist in me does not like the sun stopping in the sky because that's actually would be what, that would be the, the whole Earth cosmos stopping, yeah. right. which would 
mean the earth would f- fling into, you know, physics yeah, doesn't work yeah, there. It's not yeah. just this local mm-hmm. problem. So am I, do you all have that, those kinds of miracles as well? And what's the issue there? And should we be thinking about how to interpret them or should we take them as sort of straightforward? I know we've got the big ones like the flood and creation. We'll talk about those at some later episode, but some of those others like the, the sun stopping in the sky. Yeah, that's a good question. I think some miracles do seem to kind of boggle my enlightenment modernist sensibilities. Uh, you know, John Frame, Vern Poitras, Poitras and others have been really helpful to me in this in reminding me of that distinction between creator and creation, yeah. right? That there's this tendency, and we see it throughout the ancient world and even in the scriptures, there's this tendency to think of God as a really big human. But he's fundamentally kind of limited in the same way humans are. And recognizing that that's not the case. That's not the way that he relates to his universe. He's, he's ubiquitous. He's everywhere. You know, He's, uh, he's off the shoulder of Orion, and he's in the, the seventh layer of gases down on Jupiter right now. And at the same time, he's uniquely present with each one of us. So, you know, there's, there's unique and ubiquitous presence and power. And when I start thinking about that, the fact that he truly does hold the world, the whole world in his hands, mm. a lot of those big miracles are not ones they I can say I don't understand them, but it's not because it's behind the veil of some sort of mysterious fog. It's because it's behind the veil of the creator and the creature. I, I'm never going to see all the way around him, you know, going back to Van Til's famous diagram of the big circle and the little circle and God's the big circle and I'm the little circle. I'm never going to get around the big circle. And so there's going to be parts of this that I'll, that will confound me even in the new heavens and new earth. And it's not because of sin or unbelief. It's just because, he is God and I am not unfathomable or his judgments and his ways past finding out. Yeah, I, I think that's really well said, Scott. I mean, it. Um, I, I don't know. I guess um, the the specific example about uh, the Lord pausing the sun, um, uh, I guess at the time when I read it, I kind of read it in the context of a lot of these chaos comp themes. Hmm. Uh, and for that reason, the impact of it galactically didn't really hit me until you described it but in many ways it's sort of a challenge of our doctrine of God just you know it what is our concept of the doctrine of God and Mm -hmm. and there is a real sense that in um, the church today we really need a revamped renewed robust doctrine of God the attributes of God just his immensity his power and and what he is truly capable as um, God I'm almost loath to do this, but uh, I, I do think it should be done. Uh, I've been sitting in Gray's classes on um, in uh, theology proper, doctrine of God stuff, and uh, and the ma- materials that he gives are, are fantastic mm. in terms of our understanding of the creator-creature distinction, mm-hmm. and has really opened my eyes to seeing just how vast and extraordinary he is as God how how um, meager I am as creature, mm. and yet value the fact that we are in still communal covenantal relations that is just really mind-blowing. Now, you know, we, we, we these, these are basic ideas, but the way it was described and the way that he articulates that really is quite powerful and in a, in a great uh, solid understanding of God yeah. as God and we as creatures, mm-hmm. sort of what you're describing. So if if he had to pause the sun 
And the impact of that is galactic universal cosmic in a way that we can't even completely, you know, uh, fathom. You know, the, the question, I think, is really a challenge of the yeah. doctrine of God, just how big is our God yeah. to do that? And, the, well, and you know, as the, as the medievalists would push back to, or would come back with, and, and that raises the question, and so how can we understand God? If he is above and beyond and completely yeah. transcendent, how can we understand him? And that's I mean, one of his attributes is his revelatory nature. And that's part of it, but that's also, again, just gesturing at a mystery. And it's not a mystery because, again, it's behind the, the smokes of the temple or something like that. The, 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 it's a mystery because we're talking about a thing that is above and beyond. And us. even in that situation, remember, as, as, as we think through it now with the, moder- with the benefits of modern science and the scope of the of the galaxies that we live in, it's still a sign. Right. It's still pointing to That's a greater right. reality. It's, I mean, it just makes the word all the more um, fantastic in terms of what we have as the as divine special revelation in the Word of God. I don't think it's wrong though, and I, I'm hearing all of this. But, and yeah, I really to your love point, it. I, I think you're right, Tommy. To be um, uh, to to pause and stop through that, I think is a is a good posture. Well, and. And for me, there's a, I'd make a hermeneutical distinction here. Did, did, did the miracle happen? Absolutely. Was it miraculous? Yes. Can it be explained through natural causes? No. That, that's what makes it the intrusion of God. But then I also can start to think, okay, but what is the text actually saying? There's also a, her, a hermeneutical issue with some of these things. And it, like, is it just merely phenomenological? Yeah, it, would, it, it had the feet. appearance. It had the appearance had, of, of standing still, but it, it, the cosmos wasn't really shifted. Are, are you talking about that? Like, what's the, uh, what's actually being said? Yeah, what's actually being said? Mm-hmm. You know, so the sun rises and sets, right? So, I I know more about that, right? Mm-hmm. Because I I I know how the solar system works, and they're speaking phenomenologically. Mm-hmm. You know, same thing. I, if I can fast forward, the, I mean, the greatest miracle, of course, is <clears throat> the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Mm. How does that work? Jesus eats fish. It doesn't just, you know, he's not a ghost. It doesn't just pass through him. So his body digests fish. So there's amino acids there. There's proteins there. You know, so right. like, and I can, with my, I'm a, mo- I'm a modern, right? I'm an heir to science. So I can start to think and ask questions about how that works in a way that maybe weren't necessarily apparent in ancient times. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's a wrong impulse. I don't think right, that there's... Right. Sort of, but but what I'm doing there is not questioning the veracity of the miracle. Yeah. I'm, I'm examining the text, bringing my own knowledge to the text, and thinking, sometimes speculatively, and I think we should acknowledge when it's we're okay. speculating, but nevertheless thinking, okay... I, Jesus has a real body. He needs air to breathe. And in heaven is there air. You know, that's not an illegitimate right. No, question. I totally agree. Uh, and we have similar things with, you know, resurrections right. in the Old yeah. Testament. Right. The Bible, I think, invites us actually to think counterfactually about things. <laughs> to be honest, I think the Bible invites, you know, uh, Saul is told by Samuel, God was going to make you a dynasty forever, but he's mm-hmm. not going to now. I guess that's a counterfactual. Saul's been invited to think about it. Uh, Jesus says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I would have gathered you mm-hmm. like a hen gathers her chicks, but I'm not going to now. So he's, they're inviting you to think. I think the scripture invites us to think about possibilities, mm-hmm. okay? But to recognize the difference between the possibilities and the, this is speculation in the word of God. And I yep. think we can speculate 
you know, in the Red Sea event, if you want to speculate that maybe this is a place where this actually wasn't so abnormal because of how shallow the water was at this particular part, I don't think that's convincing. I think you're kind of going in the wrong direction. But I don't think it's wrong to speculate as long as you recognize I am totally speculating here. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and I think even saying what could possibly be happening with the sun in the skies or speculation about that. Sure. And yet whatever it is, we can't get away. You can't, you can't put your speculation over the, te- the text. In the text of the Red Sea event and in the text of the sun standing still or in the text of um, Hezekiah being healed from his that, disease, yeah. you know, it's very clear that this is something that everyone is saying, whoa, this is not what we expected to happen. This is a, this is a supernatural event, not merely a natural event. I think we do that kind of speculation or thinking or meditation from a standpoint of faith. It usually results in greater wonder, not lesser wonder. Yeah, you know, right. think of the kid, you know, the, the, the old joke about you know, the, the Red Sea wasn't really parted. Um, it just was tides. And then the kid who marvels, oh, God drowned the Egyptian army, <laughs> you know, in, in, in low tide. Amazing. You know, yeah. it, it leads to actually greater wonder. Same thing with the resurrection. Yeah. You know, I started thinking about... Jesus has a glorified body that eats yeah, and breathes. Right. And I'm actually more excited about heaven, not less. Yeah. You know, I, I'm more excited about perfect food yeah. and, you know, uh, perfect fellowship um, and, and rather than this sort of ethereal nothingness kind of floating in the sky. So it, Amen. It, 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 we recognize it's speculative, but if it's from the standpoint of faith, it should draw us up into greater worship. Yeah. Well, I think this brings us back around to the original point. Yeah, and this this is one that I have run into before. People say, "Hey, I get your Christian belief. I get Jesus forgives you forgives you for your sins, but do you really believe all those miracles?" And as we've talked about here, that's not just a question about axe heads floating, right? Mm-hmm. Which is a relatively small small miracle in the Old Testament, not a big deal. Um, or you know, cruises of oil not running out. This isn't really about that. This is about do you believe in a supernatural God or not who is creator and and rules over in perfect presence, power, and authority over his creation. That's really what we're getting at. And I think this comes up, too, with, you know, um, inspiration, you know, inspiration of scriptures arguments. You really think that someone wrote about this person before their time in such detail and it came true? And I want to say you realize this isn't about writing strategies. This is about whether or not there's a God who fixes and ordains the events of history. And if you're okay with that, if you believe in that kind of God, then these other things kind of easily fall into place. Mm-hmm. So this really isn't just about little events. This is about the nature of God and how he relates to the world around him and around us. Well, thanks. This is a good conversation, brothers. Any wrap-ups, any words of wisdom for our uh, listeners before we go? Take Gray's ST101 class. ST101, you'll get all these questions answered and more. And we did note that Dr. Lee uh, encouraged Do- Dr. Sutanto Absolutely. on the mic, which on that mic. itself is quite impressive. A miracle. That's a, a miracle, one might, one might say. <laughs> At least a special providence, <laughs> a special Gray. Providence, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for being with us. We look forward to coming back next week. And just to give you a sense, we're going to be talking about particular text now in the future. We thought we had to get this big picture item out of the way. And now we're going to start talking about some particular texts that show up in Scripture that have caused people to stumble and have caused people to scratch their heads and say, what's really going on here? So that will be on our next episode of Tough Texts.
Tough tags. Tough tags. Okay. Um, great being with y'all. Look forward to the next time. Until then, take care.